And let me welcome everyone. Super glad you are here. A lot of great churches in Texarkana. We're just delighted to have you worshiping with us today. Turn your Bibles with me. Proverbs chapter 10 uh, is where we'll start. And we're doing a series called Your Best Life. We'll try that again. We're doing a series called Your Best Life Now. Now. And how many can say, I'd like that, Pastor? Everybody. I don't care if you're a Christian, a Muslim, a mafia member. Everybody wants their best life now. Well, guess what? Uh, If you'll follow the biblical path, if you'll do things God's way rather than the world's way or even our own way sometimes, how many know we'll end up not only being blessed in this life, but we'll be blessed in the world to come? So that's what I mean by your best life. Your best life is not just acquiring the most money and things. Let me know the best life is found in in following and serving Jesus Christ, and then he in turn blesses us. So this is what the series series is about. And last week, I'm going to continue because we're talking about something that everybody can agree with. Again, I don't care if you're young or old, a Hindu, uh, you know, if you're black or white, yellow, green, or purple... To live our best life, we need some money in our pocket. And let me say, I'm with you on that one, preacher. Everybody. But listen, let me show you a little picture here. And this is where we're going in this. These two pathways in life. This is built on Psalms 1. God has a way. Next one there on our finances. Just pretend where it says your best life now. Pretend that says your money and your finances. There you go. God has a way. And that way is not a, a, a way that guarantees everything is going to be perfect. But it guarantees if you go God's way, you're more apt to have God's blessing in your life. It's not a guarantee that you're going to be a millionaire. It's got a, not a guarantee you'll never have a problem or a financial struggle. I mean, no, there's persecution in this world. The devil is in this world. He's out to, you know, to harm people. But ultimately, in the end, God blesses us. Well, how many know the world offers a way as well? And there, there, there's a way to get money that's not right. You can still end up with a big house or a brand new this or that, whatever the case is. But guess what? You'll only enjoy it in this life and there'll be nothing that'll bear fruit in eternity for you. Well, the scripture that I, I brought you last week is where we'll start just as a review. Proverbs 10:22. it said, the blessing of the Lord makes, is that in your Bible? The blessing of the Lord makes rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. Now, I'd always scratch my head, and the ESV gives a little different translation said. It says, and toil adds nothing to it. The blessing of the Lord makes rich, and the to- your toil, which is what you do, uh, your capacity at your work, your capacity to gain money, your capacity to you know, uh, learn more and make a higher salary, I don't care how smart we are or how hard we work, at some point there's a limit of how much we can make on our own. Are you with me today? But when the blessing of the Lord comes on our lives, he can do for us in a supernatural way what we could never do for ourselves. It's like he comes alongside us. Last week, you remember, there was a guy named Isaac in the Old Testament. Isaac was living in the promised land, but the Bible says there was a severe famine. So here you have one of God's chosen people, but he's surrounded by a famine, which means there's not enough food to eat. People are hungry, and he thinks about leaving the land, but God told him, stay in that land, and I will bless you. This is the word we're looking for, and this is what I want to happen in your life for God to bless you. 
So Isaac obeyed that the next year. Now think about it. The famine was most likely caused by a drought. He planted his crops, and the Bible said he reaped a hundredfold, and he went on to become a rich man. So you say, how, when there's a severe famine, can one farmer fail and one farmer succeed and succeed in a massive degree? Well, I'll tell you what it is, friends. It is the blessing of the Lord that makes rich and adds no sorrow to it. So this is what we're talking about. I want you to experience this blessing. And it is not just in your material world. How many know if we have a good, strong family, we are blessed. If we have health, we are blessed. If we have safety, we are blessed. So this is a blessing that envelops our whole life. Well, today I'm going to do two things. I'm going to contrast what the Bible teaches is the wrong way to get and use money versus, and then we'll talk about what's the right way. Let's uh, jump into this because here's the truth. Um, God will not bless us if we get money the wrong way. Now, again, you can make money the wrong way, but God's blessing won't be on it. There's a biblical principle that if you make money the wrong way and you get rich without God, in the end, you'll lose it all and you'll have nothing to show for eternity. So this is, this is what I want to start with. Last week, uh, I, I want to allude to this again. One way to uh, avoid God's blessing is laziness. A uh, little picture here. I want you to imagine these folks that are working there. Well, excuse me. Imagine the man that's working there as the other 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 11 are, do, are, are not exactly working. So if you were the boss and there was a constriction in, in the market and, and you had to let some people go, who would be the one man that you would keep? The, the, the man that's down in the hole. I don't think that guy that's leaning on the red shovel there, I don't think he's working. You see, the Bible says something about Proverbs 10, lazy people are soon poor, but a hard worker gets rich. Now, Again, that's not a guarantee everybody's going to be millionaires. Your chosen profession, your path in life typically has a financial um, package that goes with it. I mean, no, there's a reason a doctor uh, or an engineer or an architect makes more money than somebody that uh, cuts grass for a living. Thank God for the people that cut grass for the living, but the culture and society, you know, have, have boundaries. So we all end up on a pathway. This is a wonderful thing about living in a free country is we can choose the pathway that we follow in life. And that pathway typically has financial boundaries or, 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 or uh, uh, limits to it. But what I want to tell you is God can bless you beyond the normal limits. And this is the message that I want to communicate to you. So again, laziness. Uh, let, me, let me say this, particularly if you're young, but it'll apply to anyone in the workforce. If you will work a little harder than everybody else, if you'll do what you do with excellence, and if you can be trusted, you'll get promoted quicker than anybody else. Your business will prosper more than other businesses. Listen, if you work hard, if you do it with excellence, and if you can be trusted. All right, let's move on to number two here, uh, stealing. It's number eight of the Ten Commandments. I asked in the last service, Does anybody, has anybody ever stolen anything? And uh, I raised my hand, and a couple other people. I see there's no one in this service. Oh, my, Steve, okay, a couple people. 
All right, now, uh, so, uh, uh, and of course, when did you last steal? Yeah, for me it was high school, so I, I think the statute of limitations has expired. But <laughs> Exodus 20, verse 15 is very plain you shall not steal. steal. And to steal means is to take what belongs to someone else without returning it. Uh, a couple pictures here, and there's lots of ways you can steal. You can be a pickpocket. You know, you can learn how to steal from your employer. Let's say you, you know, you're on a job site and, 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 and the work truck, or there's, a, there's this big box of Milwaukee tools, and you'd love some power tools like that but can't afford them, and uh, your boss sends you to the store to, get some, to Lowe's to get some screws. He said, you got to hurry up, man, because we can't do this job until, you know, you get back, and you call your wife on the phone and say, honey, meet me in front of Lowe's, and you give her all the Milwaukee tools. And then you get back to the work site, and the boss says, go and get that little reciprocating saw. And you go back and said, boss, I don't know what happened. Somebody must have stole those tools at Lowe's. And he says, gee, I guess I'll have to fire an insurance, file an insurance claim, and in your garage sit those tools. Well, several things will happen. Number one, your conscience will bother you. Number two, the worst thing that can happen is nobody ever finds out, and then you'll do it again. And number three, you'll also find out and you get fired. But, but stealing can take on many, many ways that we could steal from people. Here's a similar one, cheating, lying, using deception to get money. How many have ever been sold something by a person and they fibbed a little bit about it? That car that was getting them 35 miles to the gallon is only getting you 22? Oh, you got quiet on me out there. Um, when I went to business school, there was a phrase, let me see, caveat emptor, let the buyer beware. Well, that's not a Christian phrase. For the Christian, we don't want to be involved in cheating. Listen, uh, Proverbs 21 says, wealth created by a lying tongue is a vanishing mist and a deadly trap. So this idea of lying and deception, I've come to the place where I don't buy clothes on the internet anymore. And I'll tell you why. I saw the coolest looking shirt, twice this happened to me, the coolest looking shirt that I had ever seen that would fit perfectly in my closet. I ordered my size that was large and it came back small and small was supposedly large in whatever country it was made in and it took me two months to get my money back. So what they were doing is they were deceiving me. They wouldn't respond back to my emails or anything else. That's not the way to get money. Taking advantage of the poor, Proverbs 22, 16, whoever gets rich by mistreating the poor will become poor. Now, we're going to talk about caring for the poor later. God will bless us. But how many know it's sometimes hard to know what poor person you need to help? Now, for me... If you've got a sign on the side of the interstate and you've got a big Dr. Pepper sitting with you and you're smoking a cigarette, I don't think you fit that category. But there are a ton of people, listen, friends, around the world. And, and, and this is, I do most, Lynn and I support uh, feeding Haiti kids every week. I'm not intending to brag, but I'm just telling you, I believe in this. I believe in works, and whether they're in America or they're around the world, that specifically help poor people. And I want to help people, like this humanitarian aid we just sent to, to uh, that church in, in, in Jerusalem. 
Every person that's hurting deserves care. But if I can find someone that's bringing the care or the food and the gospel at the same time, I think it's a better investment. But anyway, don't mistreat the poor. For example, let's say, I don't know, let's say uh, uh, you got some yard work that needs to be done. And, and you saw this uh, Hispanic man move in down the street and the word gets out, gets out he doesn't have a green card. And he'll work cheaper than anybody else. And uh, you hire him to you know, do your yard work for $5 an hour. That's mistreating the poor. He, he, he's got a family, and just because he didn't have any recourse, he's not going to call the police because he's scared he'd get deported. But th- th- there are ways that we take advantage of people that, that's not good. Don't put money in your pocket that way. Here's another one, making or taking a bribe. Anybody ever been bribed? Someone tried to bribe you? Didn't nobody raise their hand on that one? <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I, listen, honey, it's going to be you and I on this one because I try to do bribes all the time. With my grandchildren. <laughs> I have some taste and see dark chocolate almonds that those kids love. And what Pops wants is for them to sit in my lap when they watch Paw Patrol. So I know how to get them in my lap when they say they'd rather sit in their own chair. Okay, now I'm just being kind of funny on that one. But, but bribery is not a good thing. Bribery means, uh, uh, it means giving money or gifts to get something that we want. Uh, here's another one. It'll be our last one. Uh, coercion, fraud, using force or threats to get money. Now, when we think about this, this is the strong-arm tactic. You know, we think about the, you know, the, the mafia guy that goes down the street collecting their share, and if you don't pay me my money, I burn down your store. I had someone talk to me recently, and it was a grandmother, and she said, and gave me permission to say this, she said, my daughter won't let me see my grandchildren unless I give her money. Now, I know that daughter must be in a tough spot because I know that girl somewhere deep in her heart knows that's not the right thing to do. But how many know if we walk down the wrong path long enough, we're going to do things that we're sorry for and we regret and wish we'd never done? But if you will turn around from the wrong path, because here's the deal. Everybody in this room is tempted all the time to do something to get money the wrong way a form to sign something with their taxes or whatever the case is. But if we get on that wrong path, there may be a consequence. But the quicker we turn around and get on God's path, the quicker our finances will turn around. Come on, somebody give the Lord a good hand today. All right. Let's get into the good part now. God will bless us if we get and manage money the right way. So God has something to say about this too. Let me give you a few thoughts here, and I want to review just a moment about what I said last week about hard work. But I'm going to add something to it. Hard work and diligence open the door to God's blessing. Proverbs 13 says, wealth from a get-rich-quick scheme quickly disappears, but wealth from hard work grows over time. There's many scriptures. Here's another one now about diligence. Diligence, Proverbs 10, 4. Diligent hands bring wealth. Now, diligent is one of those words that's kind of scratch your head. How do you define it? So I asked the all-knowing Siri, and she said, diligence is to work hard 
but in a careful and thoughtful way. Now, let me give you an example how this applies. Let's say you're going to, you know, you're tired of painting, painting your house and you're going to hire somebody to paint your house. And, you know, you got this, you know, this big family room you want to have painted and, uh, you, you know, you look on the internet and this one guy says, I'll beat anybody's price. And, and, and this one guy says, you know, I'll give you a, a, a quality job for a fair price. And you have them both come out and give you a bid. Well, the one guy that's going to beat everybody's price says, I'll do this for 15 bucks an hour and I'll be out of here in a day. Well, that sounds good. The other guy says, well, it's going to be $25 an hour, but I can't get it until six weeks because I got a backlog of work to do. And like most people, we think, well, okay, go ahead, do the $15 an hour guy. So you go off and you don't like the paint smell. So you go off and you go shopping all day or go hunting or whatever. And you come back home and sure enough, his truck is gone. He's painted the whole house. He's painted the whole room, but you start looking at it and you look at the little corners where you're where your trim that you love meets together, where he should have used tape and taped all along the edge. He didn't use tape and tape along the edge. There's paint spilled all along your baseboard. He just used a big brush and slop paint on the edge. And on top of that, you had a tile floor. He spilled white paint on your tile floor. It got in the grout. He tried to wipe it up, but now you have a 12-inch strip of white in the middle of your dark floor. But you only paid $15 for it. The problem is he didn't do it with diligence. He didn't do it in a thorough and excellent way. And my friends, if we will adopt the other painter, the other painter uses the tape, uses the right size brush, covers the floor, covers the furniture. You pay a little bit more. That's why he's able to have a little bit, make a little bit more money because he does it with an, in an excellent way. So it's diligence that will take you far. So let me give you the second one. Practicing biblical ethics or character, now listen, will cause people to trust us and God will bless us. Uh, here's a historical account. King Josiah repairing the temple, 2 Kings 22, uh, the church house had, had become in disarray and they collected money to repair the temple. So basically, he, this is what he says to do with the money and the supervisors. Entrust the money, entrust is a key word, to the men to, uh, 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 to supervise the restoration of the temple. Now, verse 7 blows my mind. How many know when we hire someone today or you're hired in a company, you get a blood test, uh, a drug test, uh, they check your saliva, they check your background check. Uh, I, I mean, it's just this horrendous process and you sign this multi-page contract of what you do and what you don't do. And you know why we do all that? Because people are not trustworthy. Because people are not honest, and that's what the world has to do to cope with the dishonesty. But verse 7 says, don't require the construction supervisors to keep account of the money they receive because they're honest and trustworthy men. In other words, whenever they come up and say, boss, I need another $5,000, or treasure, I need $5,000, he probably says, well, what you doing? He says, well, right now we're working on the flooring in the back. He said, okay, here it is. And they didn't even sign anything. She kind of shook hands and did it. How, how could that happen? Well, I tell you, in my own life, we often have people that come to work on our home. Things break. The washing machine goes out. You know, I call the home service company, and they say they'll send somebody out between 8 in the morning and 5 at night. 
well, duh, you have a life, but somehow you manage to be. You're not just going to say, well, the door will be open and the washing machine is, is you know, or, or the, you know, the dryer, whatever, it's in the little back room behind the kitchen. You're not going to let some stranger in your house. But when I have a plumbing problem, I have a brother that I have worked with for years, a good Christian man, I know him. When I have a problem, I tell him, front doors open, you know where the lights are. If you want something to drink in the refrigerator, you help yourself. What's the difference? He's trustworthy. He's honest. He has character. And that, my friends, gets the attention of people and that will cause God's blessing to come on the labor of your hands. Come on, give the Lord a good, a good hand today. Let's talk about something supernatural now. And when I'm talking about supernatural, I mean all of us, I don't care who you are and how much money you make or how smart you are or what you're qualified to do, you will reach a place in life where you don't have the financial resources to do it. There's something out there that is the proper thing to do that you just, you're a step away and there's nothing you can do. You can't borrow your way into it. You can't work harder your way into it. You can't beg your way into it. If God doesn't do something for you, and this is what I mean supernaturally, if God doesn't do something, you're in heap big trouble or there's a, there, there's a problem. Let me give you an example in the Bible. And what you're going to see is faith and obedience are the door to God's supernatural blessing. Let me say it again. Faith and obedience. Because if you're walking with God, you're praying about what your need is, and God will show you. I want to read a passage to you. It's Matthew 17. Um, uh, The collectors of the temple tax came to Peter. In other words, the IRS came knocking on Peter's door. And they said, doesn't your teacher or Jesus pay the temple tax? And Jesus, and then Peter goes to Jesus and said, I guess Peter didn't have any money. And and Peter said, uh, Jesus, this dude came up to me and uh, he had a couple Roman soldiers with him and he wanted to know if we were going to pay the tax or not. And here's what Jesus said to do. Now, Now, I want you to think about this. How many know when um, you need to have, let's say if you're sick, you've got a pain in your, in, your, in, your, in your gut, and it won't go away, and, you know, you've taken, you know, whatever, you've taken Tums, and you've tried several things, probably a second, it doesn't go away, and you know you need to go see somebody. Well, how many know you go to see a doctor, right? You don't go to see a plumber. You go to see an expert. Peter is an expert fisherman. And Jesus has been a carpenter all his life. And Jesus said, go down to the lake, throw in a fishing line, once uh, open the mouth of the first fish you catch, and you will find a large silver coin. Take it and pay the tax. Now, Obviously, there's a benefit to Peter. After this thing works out, his faith in God goes, you know, goes through the roof. But can you imagine what he probably thought when Jesus told him that? He didn't say it out loud, but he probably said, this guy's nuts. I've been fishing with topwater lures, spinner baits, you know, those little spider bugs, the lizards and all that. That's the way you catch fish, Jesus. So, I mean, look, what's the deal here? Why don't I just go out and catch a half a dozen fish and then sell them at the market for the $5? That's the logical thing to do, right? But Jesus said, You'll have, there'll be money in a fish's mouth. Now, how many have ever fished in your life or loved to fish? Wave your hand at me here. All right, most of us here yeah, in our life. How many have ever caught a fish that had money in its mouth? 
Now, I've caught fish that had a hook in their mouth from somebody else. I've caught fish that might have had a frog in their, you know, in their gut there or legs hanging out. But I've never caught a fish that had money in it. But Jesus told Peter to do that. And Peter went down and did it. And guess what? Fish's mouth opened and there's money. So what's the message in this? Typically, there's no supernatural provision when natural provision is available. In other words, you remember when the children of Israel, for 40 years in the wilderness, what did they eat? Manna. It fell from the sky every day like dew, and they just scooped up their food to eat. But when they crossed the Jordan River in the promised land, the manna stopped, and God said, you eat from the fruit of the land. Which means, if there's a natural way for you to provide for yourself, typically that's what God will use. But there may be occasions where you cannot do what needs to be done. I don't just mean what you want to have because they're having a big sale at Bass Pro Shop, okay? I mean something that you desperately need to have done, perhaps a medical surgery or something. I'm telling you that the supernatural door can be open if we will pray and ask God what to do and do what he says. Because God, the same God that paid Peter's tax is the same God that can help us. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. He is worthy to be praised. Let me give you one that's kind of a, seems like kind of an oxymoron. It's a paradox, you know, and it's this. Generosity opens the door to God's blessing. In other words, let me read the scripture. Uh, Proverbs eleven twenty four: give freely and become more wealthy. Now, scratch your head on that. How in the world can, if, if you have $100 and you give somebody $20, how in the world can you end up better off because you've only got $80? Well, this is what it's saying. Give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. The generous will prosper. Why does the generous person tend to prosper? It's because the blessing, say it with me, the blessing of the Lord maketh rich. In other words, God is intervening. But how many can say sometimes it's hard to be generous because stinginess takes over? Eight of us are honest. I'll tell you a little story happened to me the other day. My wife might not even know this, but uh, um, she was out of town in some missions thing she was doing. And I went to the grocery store, and I love avocados. So I bought this bag of green rocks that said they were avocados, but they were so hard you couldn't eat them. So it was about eight or ten of them in the bag, and I took them home. And somebody came by the next day, and I just had this thought. I got eight or ten avocados. I just ought to give them some of them. And I didn't. And it bothered my conscience <laughs> the whole time I was eating those avocados. And the last three, when I cut them open, they were brown on the inside and I couldn't eat them. Now, if you choose another church next week because...
Now, look, I, I do my best to be generous on, on a serious note. I mean, I, whenever I get any money, I pay my tithe on it, and we give offerings to everything that comes around the loop there. I mean, we give some every, give, give, give a lot, but I still have a stingy side to me. <laughs> I, bet, I bet the person in your shoes today does too. <laughs> but let me tell you, let me give you a Bible scripture. It's about sowing and reaping. And here's where a little faith is involved. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, uh, Paul the Apostle said, I don't need to write to you about this ministry of giving, ministry of giving for the believers in Jerusalem. Now, what was going on? There was a famine that was happening in Jerusalem. The Gentiles owed a spiritual debt to the Jews. So Paul is trying to get all the Gentile churches to help the Jewish people. That's exactly what we're doing today. So anyway, he sends a letter to kind of let them know he's coming. And verse 2 says, I know how eager you are to give your avocados away. (laughs) No, he said, I know how eager you are to help. But I want it to be a willing gift, not one giving grudgingly. If you notice, that's why we don't pass the offering plates in our church anymore. If you want to give, give. If you don't, don't. It's your choice. But giving to God-honoring works and projects keeps you on God's road. Come on now. And one day the Lord will reward us. So, again, I, don't, I tell this to the new members class, our Connect class, told them this morning, I don't want your money. I don't want your money, and I'm not trying to recruit you for a job. But if you want to join your hearts to us, we're trying to do something big for Jesus, and I think there's enough evidence to prove that's true. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord. But, but then he says this, and here's, here's your lesson. Remember, now he's talking about them giving, but then he talks about a farmer. A farmer who only plants a few seeds will get a small crop, but the farmer who plants generously will get a generous crop. Now, my brother's a farmer, and and I think they plant their soybeans about that far apart, I I think. It depends on the length of the, you know, the width of the rows, but engineers have figured out how close to plant the seed. Well, when he buys a bag of these genetically engineered soybeans that they everybody plants today, it's like $300 for a bag of seeds. And he could say, well, I'm going to save that seed. And rather than planting them this close like I'm supposed to, I'm going to plant them that close. Well, guess what happens at harvest time? You have a smaller harvest. And then he's likening the same thing to financial giving. Now, this is not a gimmick, okay? But uh, he says this farmer who plants generously will, will, will get a generous crop. And then he says, you must decide in your heart how much to give because God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And now listen to the promise. The promise says God will generously provide all you need. Now that's not the preacher asking you to give to him. That's not raising a church offering. We have plenty of money. We're doing great. If you want to be a part, do. If you don't, don't. But the Bible says God will provide what you need. Because you're practicing a principle called sowing and reaping. And it works in life. But let me say this. This is not a gimmick. If it, don't give to get something from God. There was a horrible theology that went through the church in primarily the 80s and 90s where it tied everything to what God's going to do for you if you give. Now that's true. But unfortunately what we do is we tend to go from one extreme to the other extreme and say nothing. 
But I would do you a disservice if I didn't tell you that you open the door of God's blessing when you invest in the needs of people and in the work of God. God loves a person who gives generously. He'll provide your needs, and you'll have everything you need with plenty left over to share with others. In other words, I start the cycle of generosity. God begins to bless me, but I don't just hold on then and, and hide the avocados. I, 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 I give generously, and then God gives generously more. Again, it is not a gimmick. Every Christian will have a financial struggle at some point in their life. Paul, the apostle who wrote this, had times when he was hungry. But this particular truth he's saying, there's seasons in our lives when we'll have financial pressure. But the overall tenor of our lives will be that God will bless us because he's a good God. Come on, give the Lord a a good hand today. Let me give you another one that's similar but a bit different. It's called tithing. It's practiced in the, the biblical church. Tithing means to give, or some would even say to return to God, 10% of whatever we earn. Uh, the reason we would say return to God is that in the Old Testament, they were taught in Leviticus 27.30, the tithe or a tenth of the, lo- of the land belongs to the Lord. In other words, so you're returning to the Lord what he's given you. But it's a big faith step. And I'm going to show you both Old and New Testament that it's, it, it, it's a practice. Uh, he asked this question, Malachi chapter 3. He says, will a man rob God? But God says, you're robbing or you're cheating me. Now, how in the world could you rob from God? First of all, we don't have anything God needs. God doesn't need any money that I gave today. I mean, God doesn't need me. It's a privilege for me to serve him. It's a privilege for me to be able to give to the Gideons today. Uh, That's the way I look at it. Uh, He says, you're robbing me and your tithes and contributions are offerings. The tithes, the 10% is offering is anything that's above. But then he said to this Israelite people, he said, you're cursed with a curse because you're robbing me. But notice what he said in the promise. Bring the full tithe the 10% into the storehouse. Now, in their day, it was the temple. It was the place that, because their, their worship was centralized in one place around the temple. Uh, I would apply this today as the temple is uh, the local church. It's the place where you're spiritually fed. Why? So that there may be food in my house. And the only time you'll see this in the Bible, it says, put me to the test. If I will not, God said, open the windows of heaven and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. And again, this is not a pull, give 10, pull the lever and out comes whatever, 50. This is not a gimmick. It is, not, it is a principle of the Christian life. Lanelle and I started out in, 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 a, in a poor, ch- I mean, a poor church, and we were not doing real good. We're doing much better today, but it's not just because we're older and have worked harder. It's because we practice biblical principles all of our life. And over time, have you had hard times, preacher? Absolutely. Were there times of struggle? You don't know where money was coming from? I remember when my little girls wanted to be cheerleaders. Isn't that the greatest? It is the greatest thing that ever happens to that little girl, or it is the worst thing, most devastating thing that will ever happen if she doesn't get selected. 
But after she comes home rejoicing, Daddy, 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 I'm on the cheerleader squad. Great, honey. And then she says, here, I need $800. How many have had cheerleaders in your family? <laughs> you, you know what it's talking about. Well, sometimes you don't have the $800. What do we need? We need the blessing of the Lord. Come on now. The blessing of the Lord may be that God gives us more hours to work. He may give us opportunity. It all fits together, though. But Jesus affirmed tithing as well. Luke eleven forty two. 42, Jesus, it's kind of a, a rebuke against the Pharisees, but it's a promised blessing. What sorrow awaits you Pharisees? They were the religious hypocrites. You tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens. In other words, they pulled off 10 mint leaves and brought one to the temple, yet they were the people that crucified Jesus. But you ignore justice and the love of God, which is more important than the money. You should tithe, yes. And that does it for me. Jesus said it. You should tithe, but don't neglect the more important things. Sadly, in our world, money tends to be the most important thing. But with Jesus, money is just secondary and when you learn as you grow to be a tither, to be a giver, you experience joy, you experience a satisfaction, and you experience the blessing of the Lord that makes rich. Come on now, and adds no sorrow to it. Give him a big hand today. He's worthy to be praised. I want to give you one more. It's caring for the poor and needy. Proverbs 14, 21, blessed are those who help the poor. Now, it might be hard to figure out who exactly that is, and you can't help all the poor, but there are some poor people that I can help. That's why my wife and I, and this is not at all intended to be bragging, but just so we believe this, we support every week feeding kids in Haiti because I know the work in Haiti. I know those kids the ones that are in their schools won't have a meal to eat unless somebody sends them some money. And I trust the guy that we're sending the money to. Are you with me today? Find somewhere, though, help the poor. The poor could be your neighbor. You know, uh, maybe your neighbor, I don't know what, goes, is going through a, a, a divorce or a real hard time. Or, or, or the husband had surgery and he can't work for a while. And it becomes obvious to you, you know, there's a problem that's there. Take them to the grocery store one week. I mean, would that be unheard of? I mean, they may not be poor forever, but guess what? God sees that. Proverbs 19 said, if you help the poor, you're lending to the Lord and the Lord will repay you. So again, I, I hope you receive these positive things that the Bible teaches us about how to have a blessed life. But it seems like a paradox sometimes, doesn't it? How in the world can I live this kind of life and a good God bless me? Well, I'll tell you, because he is a good God and he is worthy to be praised and we can trust him that his word is true. I'm going to close with this last thought and then we're going to pray. But I'm going to ask you this question. How much do we need? How much do we need? Honey, I want you to put your, your hands, ears in your, hands in your ears just a minute. Linnell watches these home and gardening shows, these remodeling shows. <laughs> They're everywhere. 
My DVR records five of them. And you have to do something with that. So I'm sharing this scripture with my wife today. How much do we need? <laughs> Look. <laughs> it's... <laughs> It's duck season, and I bought some stuff the other day that I probably didn't need. But Proverbs, <laughs> Proverbs 30, verse 8 and 9. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me just enough to satisfy my needs. Now listen to this. If I grow rich, I may deny you. The Lord. And say, who is the Lord? In other words, oh, and then he goes, if I'm too poor, I might steal and insult God's name. Let me ask you a question. When do you pray the most? When your bank account's at the top or it's at the bottom? At the bottom. And you know, sometimes if we had all this more, bigger, better, and excess, it might do more harm to our spiritual life than good. I have seen Christian people who used to live in the prayer room serve the Lord. I mean, their life was, sent, was, was I mean, yielded to the work of the Lord, and God blessed them, and they became rich. And before you knew it, you never saw them again. They disappeared from the prayer meetings, too busy to serve, whatever, because somehow the love of money, come on now, can shift into your heart, into a gear. I'm not saying money is bad. Because I know wealthy people today who are entrusted with the work of the Lord and are doing tremendous things around the world for the kingdom of God. But it's a good question we need to ask ourselves. I told my wife last night, in case you're wondering, to go ahead and we're going to plan next year to remodel a bathroom there. So just, I'm not picking, you know, I'm not picking on her. But, but I'm just saying, how much do I need? I don't want to be rich and deny you, and I don't want to be poor and steal. But God, I want you to satisfy my needs. So that's a good place Paul left it this way, and I'll close with this. Paul said, I've learned how to have a lot, and I've learned how to have a little, but I've learned how to be content in all things. Why don't you bow your head, and let's just pray just a moment. And I want you to, you, you can, somehow I want you to agree with me in prayer, because I think I'm going to pray your heart and mine today. But Lord, we want to ask you to bless us. Just, just ask him. Say, Lord, I want you to bless me. I don't want to be the one that's going the world's way to get money and even my way sometimes. But I want, I, I, I want to be somebody that's on the right pathway, living by biblical principles and managing by biblical priorities. Um, and Lord, if we've, I've not been handling money the right way, if you're watching online, I want you to join me. If I've not been handling money the right way, I want to ask you to forgive me. And I want to ask you to help me turn around as quick as I can and get on the right path. Because I believe that it is indeed the blessing of the Lord that will meet my needs. And lastly, Lord, help us all be content with what we have. We are blessed, most of us are blessed beyond measure. Help us be content with what we have. Don't let the people that send us catalogs and things that pop up on the internet divert us from that which is truly important. 
want you to just kind of take a deep breath now and just say, yes, Lord. You're not only my Savior, but you're my Lord. You want more than just a prayer to go to heaven. You want to be the Lord of my life. And Jesus said, where my treasure is, there my heart will be also. And if I'm supposed to love you with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength, I don't want money to get in the way. So in this special moment, Lord, I want to turn this area of my life over to you and ask you to help me, Lord, live and walk the godly path. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let me have one more prayer before we go, and it's the most important because I want to talk to people that are sitting here. could be you. could be the person next to you. But I want to talk about your eternal soul. I want to ask you a question. If you died today, would you go to heaven or hell? I mean, it's, it's as real as it gets. I want to ask you today, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? See, I was raised in church, and I'm so glad Mom made me go. But how many know going to church doesn't make you a Christian? There's a problem that's got to be dealt with. And if I could explain the basic salvation message in a moment, it's this. The cross representing God, and here I am. Adam and Eve were close to God. And when they sinned, the human race got far from God. That's why people die today. That's why disease is in the earth. I mean, we got away from God. We sinned. And the tragedy is, the Bible says, the wages of sin is death. And it's not only physical death, but it's spiritual death. It's separation from God and separation for all eternity. One day there's going to be a battle of Armageddon in the Middle East. One day Jesus is going to come back, and it may be sooner than we think. But one day we're going to stand before God on what's called Judgment Day. And there's only one or two places to be, on the forgiven side or on the side that is neglected forgiveness. See, Jesus Christ, and here's the gospel in a nutshell. Jesus Christ came to this earth, lived a sinless life, and willingly offered himself on the cross. He shed his blood to pay the penalty for my sins and yours. He died in our place. He took the judgment of our sin, which is eternal hell. He took the judgment on our shoulders, and that on his shoulders. And that was 2,000 years ago. But now here I am standing, looking at the cross and looking at the world or looking at my way. You say, well, Pastor, what does a person need to do to go to heaven? My friends, it is simply this. It is to believe in Jesus and to follow him. And this idea of following him, it means turning to God. It means a deliberate decision that I'm going to turn from my old ways to the best of my ability, I'm going to walk with God. The Bible calls it repentance. And it's a decision that we make and ask Christ to forgive us and we begin to follow Him. If you're here today and you'd like to make that decision today, that I'd like to become a follower of Jesus, we're going to pray for you. For some of you, it may be the first time you've ever prayed this prayer. For others, you might have, you know, been a Christian or lived the Christian life at one time, but you got away from God. You backslid. You don't know how it happened. But God is tugging at your heart today 
to recommit your life to him. So we're going to pray for you now, and I'm going to ask you to do something very bold. I'm going to go section by section, but if you want to commit your life to Christ, I'm going to ask you to wave your hand at me. And if, if you say, well, why, why, why is that, Pastor? Well, first of all, let me say, I don't want anything from you. We want to give you something. We want to pray for you and lead you to Christ. But what will happen is you need to make a step. Christianity is not just personal and private and in our head. It is lived publicly. And if you, cannot, uh, if you cannot acknowledge Christ in a room where people will clap their hands for you, you'll never do it out in the real world when you get out there. So I'm going to ask you today the most important question of your life. For many of you here today are saying, Pastor, I'd like to get right with God. I want to commit my life to Jesus, and I want prayer today. And if that's you and you're in this far section, would you just raise your hand at me and wave it real high? Say, I want to give, give her a big hand out on the front row there. Give her a big hand. Anybody else here today say, pray for me. I want to give, give him a big hand in the back there. God bless you, sir. God bless you. Any in this section today say, pray for me. I need to go quickly. Pray for me. I need to get my life right with God today. Anybody here today say, pray for me. Give it one hand, two hands in the back there. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Any here today say, pray for me. I need to get my life right with God today. I don't want to leave this place. I'm ready to make a decision to follow Jesus. How about here? Say, pray for me. I want to get my life right with God today, Pastor. Give him a big hand. God bless you, sir. God bless you, sir. The Bible says, Angel, anyone else say, pray for me. I need to get my life right with God. Anyone in this far section say, pray for me. I need to get right with God today. All right, listen, let's all give one more big hand for those that lifted their hands. Let's stand to our feet right now. And all you that lifted your hands, let me invite you to come to the cross right now as your first step to Christ and let one of our pastors pray for you. All you that lifted your hands, come on up, let us pray for you, dear. Come on up, nobody's, we're gonna hear, we're here to help you. Give them another big hand today. These are people making steps to Christ. Come on, let us pray for you today. Even if you didn't raise your hand, but something is pulling at your heart now. I need to get my life right with God. Come on up here. We've got pastors here that will pray with you today. Come on, here's a young man coming down the aisle. Give him a big hand today. God bless you, buddy. God bless you. We're proud of you today. We're proud of you today, my man. Good to see you. Others that are coming. Here's a young lady coming today. Give her a big hand. Others today say, pray for me. Here's a young... Oh, I missed that one. Anyone say, pray for me. All right, well, listen, thank you for coming today. We've got one last song, and then we'll dismiss. We'll have a prayer team that will linger around the altar, and if you want prayer, they'll be here for you. I love you. Thank you for coming.